Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast of the best shows on TV. I'm Zach, and tonight is the season finale, episode 110 of The Bast Executioner. Uh, the title was called Blood and Cusants. Um, and of course, the writer and producer and genius Kurt Suter, or sorry, Sutter, I <laughs> uh, still made the mistake all this long, um, was our fantastic writer and put this show together. Um, it is uh, very sorrowful and uh, upsetting that this is going to be our last pod on the Bastard Executioner. Um, I spent a lot of the day today talking to several people on Facebook and Twitter and uh, discussing the sad news that Kurt uh, sent out that the show did not really go the direction that he was hoping and did not was not well received and it's unfortunate because I really felt like it was turning on and uh, was gaining momentum and uh, you know really setting that hook and I really feel like you know going into season two that things are going to be really really strong and um, we pull through on this you know but uh, unfortunately it's not and so uh, I'm going to dive into the episode a little bit and kind of talk about the season as an overall and then kind of wrap up with some closing thoughts. Um, as for this episode, um, you know, as I was told by a wonderful, amazing supporter that we have, um, uh, she runs Sutter Files. Her name's Angie. She's amazing. She, uh, she has always told me that she appreciated me telling the truth and calling it like I see it and, you know, trying to be objective and I'm not going to be any different only on this final cast. Uh, this final episode was not my favorite. It, um, and I know part of that is that, you know, it's, I'm a little down now because I know it was the last one, but you know, to give the episode itself a fair shake, it wasn't typical Sutter. Um, you know, it really, it really went in kind of a different direction, but, and I guess I had expectations, um, of a, a few things that ended, it just didn't go that way with some things. And so I don't know if it was something they decided to do knowing this would be the last episode. Even I don't believe that. Um, or, you know, it was just the way it was intended. And I, unfortunately it was just kind of meh on some parts. Now there was several great parts of this episode. I really, really enjoyed and liked, um, and we'll just dive into it. And so I can tell you which parts I thought were the highs and lows. And, uh, you know, like I said, talk about the season itself. Um, as for the episode itself, the things that I really, really enjoyed, you know, especially in the beginning of it was, is that they went ahead and did some quick snippets here and there to kind of catch you up on a lot of things between Honora and Corvid and the Baroness, but they get you right into the scene where Marshall meets the soldier he believes is the man who, you know, killed his family, which basically kind of was concluded. And decides, this was something I thought was interesting, is that he decides instead of just killing him when he has the opportunity and the drop on him, he lets him know that, you know, he uh, he has earned him a fair fight. And I thought this was a, a good change. This was not typical. You know, if I was thinking Sons of Anarchy, they'd just gone ahead and done him in and watched him bleed a slowly death on the ground. But instead, he didn't. And he gave him a fair shake and it ended up going the wrong direction. And the man decided to, you know, show mercy. And, and call it square. I thought it was a great battle scene. I thought it was really well orchestrated. I liked the effects. I mean, the, this guy is a burly fella, very well stocky. And, you know, and we're knocking posts over. We're tearing sing, uh, the, the shingles off the ceiling. I mean, if not the ceiling, the roof of the house while they're battling. Um, knocking people around. And it was obvious that, you know, Marshall is a skilled soldier, you know, skilled soldier, but rebellious. This other guy was more refined and, you know, brute force and skill took the ladder. And, 
and it led to a really good moment. I, I really appreciated what he said, you know, by letting you know I'm just as guilty as you. But do know that if you do this again, I will kill you. And I, 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 uh, I really like that. I, I really enjoyed that they went that different direction. It was unexpected. And I, I went that, uh, and it, it was a culmination of something you didn't expect. So that was really good. And then it leads right into a part where Nora sits down with Bradle and explains her lineage. And, uh, I, you know, everything was going good until she explained that she was kin of Jesus. Um, I guess me being a, a religious person and so on, and I, I don't know, I just didn't, was it a bridge too far? Was it something that, you know, you just, is that really something that's just kind of untouchable? Do you, you know, do you, does it make it unbelievable because you say you are? Does that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I know it's TV. I know it's the writing. I know she's doing her part, but is that too much when you make that kind of connection you know I, I don't know um, it was just it was a little difficult for me to swallow but the you know just a little bit I, and I was able to get over that the part that bothered me was is that I just felt like the you know, Wilkin was accepting of everything really quick um, you know it was like he was soaking it up like a dry sponge in that situation he was sitting down oh you're related to Jesus oh am I the blood of Jesus you know or you know I'm a kin or descendant or however you want to say it you know, I don't know. It just, you know, when I would imagine if somebody is being told they are possibly the descendant of Jesus, that your first reaction is is, is not okay. That, you know, you're going to, there's going to be hypocritical. You're going to be, you're, you're going to have doubt. You're going to, it's going to take longer for you to, to ex absorb and uh, accept that completely. So, you know, that, those parts were just a little shaky for me. Uh, but, I mean, they were able to pull it off, but that's just a kind of the feeling I was getting with that. You know, then we kind of have this whole long scenario where everybody's wanting to find Luca, the boy, and the priest, and so on. And we go through several scenes in a row where, you know, Braddle's talking to the Baroness about, you know, truth versus delusion. And then we talk about Nora. You know, and then we talk, and then we show this boy, and he's spilling lies about where they're meeting. And then we have these all these scenes where the wife barges in. You know, while they have this round table, not, I wouldn't call it a round table, but a, a group of unlikelies all in a room making decisions they're all going to join together under one cause for a boy. Um, you know, it just, uh, I don't know. Was that group of people, I mean, was that at random when it has a culmination of so many different people who had so many different agendas all together to come together to find one boy? Um I don't know. I thought there'd be more abrasion, more difficulty to for commitment. I thought there'd be like there would be maybe there were some situations where people had their own agendas, even though they said they were going along with it, and that that would lead to some problems. But instead, it was just like, okay, we're all on, on the mission to go save the boy, you know. And I thought that was kind of different. I was kind of expecting instead of to show that there was some turmoil, even in a good cause, you were going to have problems along the way. That was very typical of him in Sons of Anarchy. And this one, I wasn't getting that vibe at all other than, you know, Corbett was like, hmm, okay. You know, he was going along, but there was no seeing of him making motivation to go different directions. And this was the turning point for his character where he kind of became the good guy. You know, there was no bad guy to him whatsoever. You know, this was like, okay, this entire episode, he's turning into an ally, a friend, no longer the 
the son of a gun that's making things difficult for everybody. You know, he's relinquished everything, and uh, you know, he truly is a you know a helpful person to the Baroness and her cause. So that was that was something else that was not expected and unique. Um, and again, that made me question whether or not they, they felt like this was the last episode before they even filmed it or knew it. So I'm not real positive. It's kind of, it kind of made me doubt my initial prediction that um, this was an unknown, this is something that happened from FX or so on. So I'm kind of curious about that. Now, one thing leads to another, and Brattle ends up meeting the soldier who's wearing the cross that it, his, his wife had. And this, he realizes that Brattle is not who he is. It leads to uh, a really cool little fight scene. You know, a lot of aggression. And man, oh man, does my man Brattle throw this guy around, hits the cages, so on. And eventually gets to drop on him. Only to, you know, again, really surprising, to show mercy. Um, just like Marshall's character did. Um, you know, the man had a great line and said that, you know, I wear this as a penance because I choose God before I choose crown and I did not kill the you know your wife and you know and he he accepted that and then we had the vision of his wife um we have not been seeing the visions for a long time and I was happy about that and so when this vision came in it was I guess a good intentional vision of seeing his wife and so on I see where it had its value um, but it's still something that I was okay that they, that it had disappeared and gone, um, even though that's how the show had kind of started out. But anyway, you know, he lets him go. Corbett walks in, and, and he walks out, and he kind of tells Corbett, it's not anything you already don't know. So it's like he's definitely showing that the, the entire episode is the, the cat is eventually out of the bag for everybody and who everybody is. And this entire time this is going on, we're well into about halfway into the episode, and it seems like, I don't know if it's a full day, a couple more days have got together or whatever, but it seems like nobody's in a rush to get moving to go save the boy. You know, there, there's a lot of angst going on, less planning, less this, and then we get these scenes where he goes back in the church and starts talking to her and about, hey, you know, I've had these visions, you really think that's our child in the future? You know, yes, and yes, I will return, I promise, and then it goes on to the next day. You know, I'm just like, okay, you know, I would think there would be a sense of urgency here. You know, why aren't we rushing to the go get the boy sooner? And so that, that was kind of like tingling in the back of my mind a lot. But, you know, of course, as soon as I think that, the next scene pops up. They're getting on the horses and on the way they go. You know, and of course, the two soldiers they showed mercy to decide to join them, you know. And I love the dialogue here. I was love, you know. I will say that the writing on this episode seemed better when it came to the dialogue of several different parts. You know, they were talking about, you know, we won't feel, this won't fill your cup. This is not for profit. We are here for honor. There was a lot of really good dialogue here, especially in these parts, and and especially towards the end. That I really felt like there was some extra touch and extra sprinkle to really make it good. And so I really applaud Sutter for a lot of those things. The only thing I would say about the dialogue is that sometimes the accents were tough to listen to. For some reason, the, the scene with Honora, you know, playing the piano and talking to Baroness, it seemed like she was really trying to throw on the accent a little extra thick in this spot. And it, it kind of grated a little bit, but I don't know why it stuck out because um, she's been maintaining a very similar accent most of the season. And it's not one. it's not been one of my favorites. I don't think it really did any favors. And I think she's had to work a lot harder 
to make the, the this character more convincing due to the accent they decided to go with and how they did her dialogue. But no affair. Uh, and then it leads to what I think is the coolest shot done in the entire season. The entire season overall is the scene where they are gathering amongst this rock, you know, you know, right there on the edge of the beach overlooking the water. I mean, very impressive, very beautiful. It was, it was true, true, true picturesque of Wales and Scotland and, you know, those, the island and the, what it is there. And I just, uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I even, I even stopped it, rewound it and did it again. I was really impressed. Even when they panned around and showed the beach, um, it was just really, really cool. I mean, what a great location. What a great job I set her on this and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, of course, you know, they meet the, the groups meet Wolf and, you know, there, there's some hesitancy and, um, and I always knew this was who the mutual friends would be coming and, uh, and they joined pretty, pretty easily. No problems. You know, like I said, everybody was on for the same cause. I thought that was good. Um, during all this, you know, the archdeacon is making his plays and moves, sending scouts out, doing this, threatening the boy that if you keep, you know, jerking us around, we're going to kill him, kill him slow, let him know the pain they caused, the pain they caused us, you know, and kill the, you know, the priest as well. Um, and I was, it was, you know, kind of unique that, you know, they definitely showed the pitting back and forth, patting and forth to lead to this amazing scene where his legion of, I would call it legion, or his large amount of knighted, you know, his mounted knights, and of course Brattle and his mixed match group of soldiers and rebels and so on meet. This was completely out of left field, and I loved it. You see Kurt Sutter's, the mute, the scarred man, the Templar, his many names, come down and come and towed over there with this cloth over him with two swords. And I was really surprised, you know, what his game plan was. I mean, you talking about definitely making something unique and different and completely unexpected. You know, he, I thought he was hurt or wounded. His clothing was stained and marred and, you know, it didn't look right, and, you know, and I was like, hmm, you know, in the past, I've kind of complained a little bit about how the cleanliness of his suit and how things were, but this time, you know, he kind of fitted more of the part. He untakes his robe off, and he's got these giant barrels, and the first thing that goes to my mind is the movie 300. These are the exact same shape and, you know, look of these explosive barrels that, you know, mystics or magic people or like that would throw like his grenades, you know. And I thought, I was like, oh, man. And then when he pulls this other one out and he's pouring this black goo on him, I immediately were thinking, okay, he's he's pouring on his head, his face, and part of his body. He's been to, he's been to light himself up. I don't know what the two big barrels are, if he was just going to be a part of an explosion or whatever, but whoa was not expecting this now right before this scene he tells bridal we won't win this battle being mounted on a horse okay i can deal with that then he says you know you'll know what to do and bridal questions it and he goes you'll know and then he goes over here and so ed sheeran's character you know charges you know they're coming right at him he said he you know he had strikes his own barrels and boom, boom huge explosion Knocks them all off their horses and everybody charges and it's a melee. 
and then the you know fighting here, fighting here, and every so often you get to see the Human Torch Sutter character, the Templar, running through there on fire, catching folks on fire, knocking people off horses, stabbing, killing, causing mayhem. Just amazing. I don't, it was difficult. I mean, I wasn't chuckling, but I was enjoying it so much that I felt like I was. You know, because tell me, have you ever seen somebody do, set themselves on fire to go into battle? I mean, I'm just, this is something completely unique, but it fitted the character. You know, does this mean he did that before? That's the reason he's marred? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, he probably didn't have any more skin nerve endings and probably wasn't feeling the burn or whatever. Who knows? You know, can you see well what you're doing while you're on fire? Who knows? But it was a cool effect. It was a cool scene. I'm happy they went for it. It made the battle that much better and memorable. If there was anything I can say from this entire season that you can say you're going to remember, it's probably going to be the situation where they go, you know what? I'm willing to bet you remember Sutter lighting himself on fire and explosion and going through a cavalry taking folks out one by one. Okay? Very cool. Very impressive. Bravo. Give you a little clap, you know. Uh, I really liked it. And, you know, but was anybody else expecting him just to fall and that be the end? Was anybody else expecting that? I mean, technically, I mean, he was toast, no pun intended. Mr. Crispy there on the floor, you know, or, you know, on the beach. You know, when they showed that close-up of his face all burned up and this and that, and it was like of his eyes and his body was all... I really kind of expected to see his eyes open and maybe not necessarily give a wink, but like this was all part of it. That maybe that magic, that mysticism or something was going to come into play. And, you know, you're going to realize there's more to him than meets the eye. Because they kind of gave you that impression earlier in the season, a couple episodes ago, when he dispatched 12 men and they didn't even show it and he doesn't even have a mark on him. And maybe like he did something you really weren't supposed to know or how powerful he really was or what he could bring to the table. And so, gosh, I was really hoping he was going to get up and like just kind of like knock, knock the, you know, the burnt ends off of him or, you know, whatever, you know, the black, knock the suit off and he's good to go. You know, he takes his little suit off and voila, he's right back to where he was. Uh, you know, so it was unfortunate. And so it, this was one of those key moments that made me go, okay. I think he kind of knew this was not going to continue on. Why would he do that? Or it could be a situation, which I want to believe, is that, yeah, it looks like he died on the beach. But if you had season two, you could have that, you know, your opening episode could be you see him emerge from the beach, you know, him getting off of the sand, knocking the dust off of him, and on back he goes. And everybody thought he was dead, but he wasn't. You know, so you had that cool character return. So I thought that was kind of neat. And so, you know, that, I think that way it works, you know, if, if there was potential for the next season and you could bring him back, that's no problem whatsoever. Eventually, they make it to the other side of the beach. The deacon is in disbelief. He's standing there like a statue. Most of the time, I would imagine people get on their horse and take off riding. Standing there and hoping for the best is not what I expected, especially when you say, you kill me, you go to hell, is your only line of defense. Um, this was weak. Uh, I didn't expect that. I mean, yeah, you can be in disbelief, but, you know, you're also going to know when to tuck tail and go. And so I was really surprised he stayed and just let, you know, for him to be demised like he was. The only thing I would say I hated about this entire part of this battle is, is that there was nothing wrong with the battle. I just hated that one person didn't get to participate. 
and that was the priest. Man, I was hoping that he would be able to break away, do some damage, get into the fight, and see some of his skills. Oh, man, I was so salivating for it. And unfortunately, it didn't happen, you know, but I felt like we were going to get to see more of him, especially down the road, especially if there was a season two. So that's kind of how it went. But the battle scene's over. All's good. You know, they left Sutter there all crispy on the beach, and on the way back they go with the boy. All's good. Well, when they get back to the castle, of course, you know, they talk about how we lost you know, just a few soldiers. We lost the scarred man. It's all okay. You know, and then this is where the Chamberlain, Corbett's character, kind of comes around and shows that he truly is kind of become the good guy. You know, he even expresses, you know, my sneakiness, my hand behind the back, all that stuff. It can be used for good, you know, and he even devised the plan of, hey, you know, you know, the uh, the baby was so special it was taken before it was even born, you know, and goes to heaven. And uh, I thought that, you know, I thought that was kind of neat. And then, you know, and then, of course, they explained that the Rosilla are all gone except for one. And that was Ed Sheeran's character who was stabbed kind of, I would imagine, where the spleen or the edge of the liver would be on, you know, in his side. I, I kind of felt like that would be like the, you know, if you got a ran through with a sword anywhere in the abdomen, I, I would, you know, do you, can you make it? You know, uh, that is kind of a question. I'm guessing it's possible. I mean, like I said, he was holding his side, you know, I guess that's muscle, you know, whatever. But um, he also got a slice across the back of the leg. And he gets away. Um, I thought this was unique. Um, but anyway, he says the Rosula are destroyed, all but one. I doubt that is the all the Rosula, but I mean, it was the it was their leader. It was their greatest of power. And so, you know, and everybody just kind of comes to an understanding, and they accept it. That it's hey, there it is. It's you know, it's all over. You know, and. This is where the episode decides to go from, like, basically character to character to character, you know, that, you know, we've, we've seen Marshall, he's good, he's moved on, we've seen this, and then you see Corbett and, you know, the Baroness's girl, you know, her little first lady there, they get the wife out of here with, you know, Corbett's little boy toy, and he gives him his coat, which is completely strange, but he goes on, goes on his way. And then I love this di this dialogue he has with the girl. He's like, you know, starts talking about does your hole need this and that, and she's like, what well, depends on your shape and girth and or size and girth. And I was just like, <laughs> this is it was it was hilarious. Uh, you know, some of these lines they give Corbett Chamberlain. You know, when it comes to female anatomy in different parts, it it has been priceless this season. And, you know, and so you see that. And, of course, the you know, it wraps with Brattle and, the you know, the Baroness getting naked. And, you know, where was the Marvin Gaye song, you know? Um, and then, you know, it just kind of fades to black and voila. Everybody's happy, happy, happy. And credits roll. Um, this was really, really surprising to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy people are happy. I'm happy things culminated. But anybody and everybody knows Kirk Sutter, when he does a season, he always leaves an antagonist. He always leaves a problem. He always leaves a hook for the next season. Something that's undone, something that's a problem, something that you're going to be like, oh my gosh, we know where this is going next season, like that. And there really wasn't any of that, you know, and there was still a lot of unanswered questions, but, you know, little things here and there. But basically, she spelled out what the Book of the Nazarene was for and that she was the kin and why they had the tattoos. She, then, you know, Brattle has 
avenged his family and moved on to a new one. Marshall, he's happy with his avengement or the, or the you know, mercy of it, and he's moved on. You know, the Cor Corbin is, you know, he, all of his minion and everything is over, and they realize the wolf is, you know, is not is somebody who can be loyal, not loyal, but is not the antagonist of the community because evidently the Baroness has connections. Everybody's wide open about who they are and so on and maintaining this lies. And like I said, everybody's happy, happy, happy. I don't see where any of the problems or scenarios are lingering for the future. It's basically like all fences are mending and we're, we're back to hunky-dory. So um, that just kind of closes it for me that either they edited it that way um, once they kind of made the decision of back there or that's just how he was planning on ending it which just doesn't make sense to me and so i believe they knew that the season was over before the last episode was shot and this was the way they wrapped it and and that's unfortunate because you know i was always looking for like all right what's what's going to be the hook for next year what's going to be the hook for this and and it didn't happen and i understand that you know i read a lot of the articles and i read a few of the things about sutter and he 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 claims that you know, or I'm not saying he claims he has spoken out saying that he ended the show, that it was his fault, that he was getting behind on the scripts and how it was going. And when he was going back and self-editing and self-evaluating uh, his, you know, his show so far, that even himself felt like it was not up to the caliber it needed to be as well as in a combination with timing and possibly some budget constraints and other things that it just was not going to be what it needed to be or didn't meet his expectations of his vision and it was cut short and this was the only season we're going to get of it and so that that was tough to read and hear about and um but like i said he's always called it for what it is and so i appreciated that um, as a season overall, if you know, if you if you were gonna say you were gonna grade this season, uh, anybody who's ever listened to all my podcasts know that I was very critical, especially the first couple episodes, two or three episodes, that I felt like it was just a really really tough pill to swallow. This was a really acquired taste, and by the third in the third going into the fourth episode, that it really kind of kick into gear and really you know satisfy your appetite of what the show needed to be, and starting loving the characters and really develop the plot lines and you know and putting a lot of spice out there and I really really enjoyed that you know uh, I would love to you know they started out with a lot of mystical a lot of magic a lot of you know things you know visions and so on some of it was good most of it really wasn't um, some of the CG effects were great I talked about how some of the practical areas affect people dirty and um, there's different set pieces, so on, you know, accents, dialogues were struggling in the beginning, but like I really say, by the fourth, fifth episode, I was neck deep in it. They were starting to do some of that really cool stuff where they were dismembering parts of the body and these snakes and the, you know, you were, had all this intrigue about what in the religious war that was behind the scenes and some of the violence. And then the episodes that had these really cool executioner tools and usage and it made me want to research what they were and talking to me because we, we, we learned about the pear and the Spanish donkey and the, you know, the, you know, the, where they pull the person apart with, you know, the, the chains and horses and, 
I mean, it was really, really cool that we had all these things. It gave you a historical effect, and it related to real history, and, and then finding out about Templars, and, you know, but some, you know, some little parts, you know, uh, you know, little left you some intrigue. You didn't have to answer questions. Why, why did Ash cut the feet and hands off of a girl, and we never got an answer on that? You know, why, you know, why, why this and why that? I mean, I could go over several other ones, but, you know, some of, those, some of those ones I really wanted more too, you know. Um, those, that, like I said, the season, I said, by the time it got to the eighth, ninth episode, I was really pumped and really digging it. And I feel like a lot of people else were because that's when the show was hitting its stride. That's when you got Sutter more involved as a character. I think it was until like sixth or seventh episode before Sutter became a major player. And you got to see his skills, and it emerged who he was and what he attached to it. And never, you know, even though they never confirmed he was daddy, you always perceived he was. I know I never, you know, confirmed that either or whatever, or if he had, you know, blood or you know, kin to Jesus or, you know. But you, you know, it gave you enough for it, you know, for you to grip and hold on to. Um, I, I just, you know, I do hate that the tenth episode, the final episode, you know, kind of went the way it did because. It really just didn't do a lot of things because Sutter is so good about ripping your heart out and then slowly giving it back to you and you enjoy every second of it. And there was no gut wrencher here other than, of course, Sutter himself, the character dying. And it was you were so amazed by the ablaze of what he did as the character and how he fought in that scene that it was almost like, as Chamberlain said, it was a righteous death, you know, and it was. It was like, you know, there was a way to go out on this show. There you go. That's the way you go out, you know. And so I thought that was really cool and so on. Um, but, guys, you know, it is a really heavy heart. That, you know, I, I'm saying that this is the end of the end of this and end of TBX. And I've had so much fun on Twitter and Facebook and email, especially with a lot of people. Especially, I want to give a shout-out to about three of them. Um, Andrew at Podcasts Are the Best or Podcast ATV has been a great supporter since episode one. Uh, he, he, we have started a dialogue and conversation back and forth, and he has been nothing but straight up with me and giving me great commentary and passing me on. And he's added me to a few groups that I've never would have known in my entire life that um, have really broadened my scope and my. Uh, vision of how things are, especially when it comes to movies and music and soundtracks and albums and so on. And I've never found myself to be so interested in something that I've never even hardly noticed, you know. And so it's making the entertainment world even that more special to me. And I appreciate you, Andrew. I've had a lot of great commentary with a girl named Patty. Um, she has been talking about the, you know, TBX and what it meant to her, and uh, you know, she also follows us on the Walking Dead podcast we do, and she has a lot of kind words, and it's been a real fun having banter back and forth with her, and of course, last week that's Angie, and she's the sweet girl who runs uh, Sutter Files. Uh, this is a group on Twitter and you know, on Facebook and like that that are you know diehard Kurt Sutter fans and uh, I'm one of them. I think he is a genius. I think what she does for the fan page and group is amazing. She has been a big reason why our podcast has grown in viewership. Our our weekly and monthly hits have grown exponentially due to the Bass Executioner, and I believe a lot of that is due to these three people, especially Angie and Andrew, and what you've done for us and what you mean to Blee TV and my brother and myself um, has uh, is more than words can express how much I appreciate you. 
and I look forward to you know catching on and moving to a new show um, and helping y'all join along. Um, I know Kurt Sutter has talked about um, there you know that you know he is part of a three-year multi-million dollar contract with FedEx. I mean not FedEx, FX, and the only thing working right now that's attached to him is the. A possible spinoff to Sons of Anarchy, and it's going to be from the Mayans perspective. Um, even the lead character from the Mayans, I cannot know the actor's name, of course, off the top of my head, but he's been in everything. Um, it is my understanding that he, you know, I said previously on Twitter that he's probably going to be attached, but not much involvement. Uh, I believe now that maybe he might be. Um, you know, I think they would want his input and to be able to have that charisma and his writing style to make it kind of match the fan base and fanship of the original Sons of Anarchy and that could be really cool and hopefully even maybe intertwine some of the original characters into the shows here and there and really satisfy that you know that taste for what that show was all about and why we loved it um, but other than that guys I uh, like I said sadly this will be the last TBX podcast but if you've been listening to me and you enjoy the podcast and one thing I would ask is if you have a few minutes to give us a positive review on iTunes Stitcher or whatever podcast app you listen to um, it is something that would help our, my family, my brother and I, and our podcast. We really want to try to expand it and do more. Try to do instant takes. Maybe um, I even got a great idea from Patty. Um, not sorry, Angie, about maybe going back and doing some Sons of Anarchy from the original. And we're exploring these options, and um, these are things we could do. Um, so if you have a few minutes to give us a positive review or send us an email or anything, we'd greatly appreciate it. Give us suggestions for other future shows. We're all about it. You can always reach us at um, bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com, at bleedtvpodcast on Twitter. And, of course, we have a Facebook page, and we can be friends on that as well. But other than that, guys... This is uh, the final sign-off for TBX. It's always been a pleasure. I really look forward to maybe meeting up or hearing from you guys again on another show. But other than that, this is Bleed TV, and this is Zach for the last time. Good night. <laughs>